Please now open your Bibles to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. We are looking at one verse this morning. It is the fall of the Jericho walls. So thank you, Jim Namoli, for doing our public reading of Scripture. We're in verse 30 this morning. If this is your first time at Manoa Community Church, let me give you some context here. We've been going verse by verse through Hebrews chapter 11 in a preaching series called Faith. And the 11th chapter of Hebrews is called the Hall of Faith, and in it, the author introduces us to various characters in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and commends them to us for their faith so that we might imitate and emulate their faith. And this has afforded us an opportunity to go slowly through some of the Old Testament stories, actually fast through it, right? We started all the way back at Genesis, and now we're in the book of Joshua. So we're sweeping our way through the Old Testament, but we're being selective with the characters the author of Hebrew has highlighted for us. And so last week, we looked at Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. We finished up our four-part teaching series, a mini-series, on the life and the ministry of Moses. Did you enjoy that? That was awesome, right? We got to see quickly Moses. Well, today we get one verse on Joshua. And Joshua's not even mentioned by name. We're not even sure if we're commended for the faith of Joshua or the people. I think that's purposeful because they're sort of indistinguishable in this verse. And I think the leader and the people's faith have now fused in such a way as we'll look at this morning where both of their faith is held out for us, the whole church as well as the leader of the church. But we're going to look at this amazing miracle where the walls of Jericho come down and it's not because of ramparts and battering rams and any kind of artillery. It's because they walked around it and blew horns and shouted. I mean, we'll look at this. This is incredible. The instructions that God gives, at first you think, this is, this is crazy. Why would any military just walk around in a circle and blow horns? And yet, that's precisely what God tells them to do. And through their faith, the walls come tumbling down. So I've called today's sermon, Wall-Defying Faith, because not only the walls of Jericho, but there are walls in all of our lives that either shut out the promises of God or keep us trapped in places that we need to get away from that need to come down. And so as we think about not only the historic, literal walls of Jericho, but any wall in your life where you need to see faith to bring that wall down, how do we exercise faith in such a way where we see God's freedom and deliverance and victory come into our lives through wall-defying faith? So I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 to set up the context as always, and then verse 30, which is our key text for today, pray for us, and then we will go into today's sermon, wall-defying faith. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Wall-defying faith. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for the incredible ways you have fought on behalf of your people throughout all of history. Lord, we thank you for these stories preserved in sacred scripture so that our faith today might be strengthened. Lord, and I pray for whatever walls we are facing today. Lord, whether they be walls in our marriage, walls at work, walls in our home, walls in our family, walls in our nation, Lord. 
May they be walls in our hearts between us and you, Lord. We pray that faith would bring those walls down. So God, I pray that this brief sermon this morning would impart the very faith that you demand and require from us, Lord. Faith comes from hearing your word. So God, I pray that you give each one of us, every one of us, ears to hear and a heart to believe what you have to say to us during this time. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On June 12, 1987, the President of the United States at the time, Ronald Reagan, gave his famous Berlin Wall speech. He was in West Berlin, and the wall that divided West and East Berlin had been there for many, many years and seemed like a permanent fixture during the Cold War era. The East Berlin was trapped in communism, and there were two panes of bulletproof glass that shielded him from East Berlin as he sat, stood there and gave this speech. As the famous at the end, you'll recognize it, but let me set up the context where he's speaking specifically. He says, General Secretary Gorbachev, who was the head of Soviet Union's Communist Party during that Cold War, he said, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Remember that line? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Now, at the time he gave this famous speech, it was not famous. The media barely picked it up because that wall did not come down for another two years. And after that wall came down, they found this speech and they saw his faith. And let me tell you, when he gave this speech, it was controversial, even within his own political party. Because at the time, everybody was seeking just not to ruffle feathers, Everyone thought this was a permanent fixture, that we just needed to placate the communists at the time. But here's a man who saw a wall. And walls do different things. Sometimes walls protect us. We put up walls to keep people out. In this case, this wall existed to trap people in. Literally, if you tried to leave your nation, you would be shot by your own police. They would kill you trying to escape your own country. You were imprisoned in your own state. And he saw that with moral clarity in a time when everybody said, don't ruffle feathers. And he stood with bulletproof glass and he stared at that wall and he called out to that political leader. He says, tear down this wall. And with moral certainty in that moment, he proved prophetic. And two years later, that wall came crumbling down. There are walls in the world. There are walls in our lives. And sometimes they seem like permanent fixtures. Sometimes they seem impregnable. And in our text today, this wall, this historic wall, is one of the oldest walls. This is one of the oldest towns in all of human civilization. I mean, Jericho to this day is one of its claims to fame. It claims to be the oldest city in the world. I'm not sure if we can prove that, but it's certainly one of them. I mean, there's 20 layers of civilization on top of one another in this city. They found this, archaeologically speaking. This wall's been here for a long time, all right? And this wall seems impregnable. It seems like you can't pass through it, and yet 
Beyond this wall is the promised land. Beyond this wall is the land of Canaan. Beyond this wall is the wall that the father of the faith Abraham walked in this land and God said, I will give you this land as a permanent dwelling place. And yet between the people of God, the church of God, stands a wall between his promises being fulfilled. This is not simply one battle in Israelites' history. This is the wall that blocks them from all of the future blessings that they intend to experience in their lives. And maybe you have walls in your life where they feel or seem like permanent fixtures. But God would call us to look at some of these walls. Some of them are placed there by God, and he intends to keep them, by the way. But other there's, maybe they're self-limitations. Maybe they're placed there by the devil. Maybe they're placed there by a conflict in your marriage or something else. There are walls in our lives that need to come down. What does wall-defying faith look like That's what we're going to discover from Hebrews chapter 11 as he looks back at this account from Joshua, the book of Joshua, and commends them, commends Joshua, and commends God's people for their faith. So if you're taking notes, three points as always, as often, not always, sometimes two, sometimes four, but here we go, three today, wall-defying faith. First, wall-defying faith follows faithful leaders. Secondly, takes daring risks. And thirdly, obeys God's instructions. Let's do this first point. Wall-defying faith first follows faithful leaders. Now in verse 30, I've already alluded to, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. We don't actually hear of Joshua at all in the hall of faith, which is kind of surprising because Joshua was the military genius that followed Moses. So Moses, we have four-part miniseries. Joshua, sorry, brother, you only get one sermon because the Hall of Faith has you there. And his name isn't even brought up in the Hall of Faith. And so at first blush, you say, is this about the people? Because again, by faith, the people walk through the Red Sea. Is this about the faith of the people or the faith of Joshua? And I said earlier, they're actually indistinguishable. And I think that's purposely inspired by the Holy Spirit so that his name is not at the forefront nor the people. They are fused into one. Look at chapter 1 of Joshua, verses 10 and 11, and then verses 16 to 17. They'll be on the screen for you. This is where the people are now turning their allegiance from Moses over to Joshua. It says, And Joshua commanded the officers of all the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan, that's the Jordan River, and to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Again, that's the promised land promised to Abraham. Verse 16, and they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Wall-defying faith first follows faithful leaders. Now, the people speak a little bit more commendable about their parents than was accurate, actually. (laughs) Because if you remember, their parents' generation don't get to go into the promised land. So Moses was 80 years old when he brought them out of Egypt, went through the Red Sea, and their faith is high, but then they start grumbling, start complaining, and they get to the precipice of the promised land, and they send in a delegation of spies. They send in 12 of them. 
and 10 of them bring back an evil report. You guys remember this, right? They go in and they say, the people are huge. We look like grasshoppers. We're just little bugs next to them. Their walls are so high to heaven. We should not go in there. And Joshua and Caleb, Caleb and Joshua are the two minority report. They say, wait, wait, wait. This is the land that God has promised us. God is with us. We can do this. They're the only two. The majority says, no way. We will get squashed like a bug. And Joshua and Caleb are the two that say, they're literally tearing their garments. They're like ripping their clothes. No! God is with us. Come on, we can do this. And God sees their faithlessness through all of this. He says, you know what? 40 years in the wilderness till this whole adult generation dies off. Nobody gets to go in, but your kids get to go in, right? That's what happens, except for Caleb and Joshua. Those two get to go in because they were faithful. So when I say they follow faithful leaders, literally there is a that whole generation, because of their unbelief, now I believe many of them were saved and went to heaven. They just don't get to enjoy the next 40 years of their life right, because of their lack of faith. Gets me thinking, you might be saved, but are you going to enjoy this life or not? Are you going to expect God to show up in the present reality? Or are you going to forfeit this generation? Your kids get to enjoy the blessing. Yes, they grow up in the church, but your faithlessness still compromises so much of what God wants to do in your life right now. That's the reality of the people of God. Forty years have passed where they now turn to Joshua and say, we will follow you like we followed Moses, except better this time, right? We're going, you say jump, we say how high. And Joshua has been a faithful follower of the Lord from his youth. He was actually Moses' assistant in his youth. I mean, he was up on Mount Sinai. He was part of a smaller band of people who were allowed to go up there. I mean, he's been mentored by Moses for decades. And when Moses dies and his grave is lost to this day, Joshua is appointed as the next leader of the church. And Joshua with faith, God now tells them, you're, now's the chance. Now is your opportunity to go in and make good where your parents flaked out. And so he leads them by faith into the promised land. So I said at the outset, whose faith is commended here for us? The people or the leader? Yes. Yes. Because often, not always, but often in our lives, so goes the leader's so goes the church. Amen? And one of the greatest gifts, by the way, in our way our church is run, the congregation calls her leaders. I don't appoint, so this is not, you're never gonna have a Moses model at Manoa. I don't delegate, you know, my next replacement and say, okay, my son gets to be the pastor. That's not how it works here, all right? You, the members of Manoa Community Church, call the leaders. And here's my word for you. Call leaders of faith. Call leaders of godliness. Call leaders who fear the Lord and will follow him and knows, knows that he fights on our behalf because so goes the leaders, so goes the church. Their faith becomes almost indistinguishable. Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. You're not following the elders. You're not following Stephen. You're following Jesus, amen? But you are 
following me as I follow Christ because I'm preaching every week, right? And so what you're hearing about Jesus comes from this pulpit. Follow faithful leaders. And by the way, friends, if you're moving to a new area or you're just kicking the tires at Manoa, make sure they are faithful to the word of God, amen? And if they are not, run, run. Faith is only built by following faithful leadership. Do not place yourself willingly under unfaithful leadership. And if you're called to be a leader, lead within and by faith. And I don't say this to be self-serving. That's not the point of this point. It's that Joshua was exceptional. And sometimes it's, it's just hard. It's hard to find people who are committed to the word of God. It sometimes feels like you have to go after the minority report. That's okay. That's okay. Trust what God has said, even if it seems like the majority is going the wrong direction. Joshua has the eyes of faith. He's described as one who wholly followed the Lord. May we wholly follow the Lord. The apostles, they followed Jesus, right? Who we follow, who we follow shapes our faith. And not just who you listen to on the radio, who you watch on the TV, what books you read, Have your faith stretched by leaders who are not simply pragmatists, who are not simply therapeutic in their Christianity, who truly believe the Bible and truly want to walk by faith. Amen? Wall-defying faith. First, if you want to have wall-defying faith in your life, look for, listen to, and follow faithful leaders. That's marked by the life of Joshua. The minority report proves to be the correct report. Secondly, wall-defying faith not only follows faithful leaders, but takes daring risks. Takes daring risks. Listen to verse 9 of chapter 1 of Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wall-defying faith takes daring risks. Now, this is the balance to last week's sermon because we talked about faith and fear can coexist, all right? So I'm not saying we're never afraid. It's probably scary to cross the Jordan and go up against this wall, but they're challenged not to be afraid. And I said last week that true faith, right, that in deep water exceeds courage, right? It exceeds courage. The Israelites walked through the Red Sea with courage, And the Egyptians went through the Red Sea with courage, and one of them was squashed, and one of them was delivered, right? The difference was faith. So it exceeds courage, but it still includes courage, right? Joshua has this, be strong and courageous with your faith. Because faith is, as if you haven't picked it up from this preaching series, I hope you're picking this up. Faith is complicated. It's multifaceted, and sometimes we want to flatten out faith or take one or two Bible verses, pull them together, and cancel out the rest, because there's a part of faith that's totally passive, and I get this. Like, faith doesn't do a thing. It just opens the hand to receive the gift of God, so part of faith is just open your hand. God gives you the gift of eternal life, and you don't work for it at all. And that's right, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. There's not an ounce of work that you do to earn your salvation. And by the way, this story still gets to that point because they don't do a thing to bring those walls down. It's all by faith. So they're not doing anything. But what they are believing is still risky. 
You see where I'm going with this? So it's not just a passive let go and let God. They are taking bold risks with their faith. Like Peter, their faith beckons them to step out on water and possibly drown, right? Until they find out that their faith gives them a sure footing. So faith both is passive in a sense where it just receives, but faith is also active where it becomes then risky, where that faith that receives the gift of God then is catapulted by the power of the Holy Spirit and God at work in us and through us to take bold risks that we otherwise, humanly speaking, would never take. <laughs> you would never go up to a wall and just shout at it, right? And expect it to come down. That's risky. We'll talk about that even more under the third point. That's not a typical strategy to win in wartime, right? Ah! <laughs> but by faith, they do it, and by faith, it happens, right? They take daring risks. And I've already said, Jericho represents so much more than one town. It represents all the promises of God. It's the frontier town into God's land that he has promised to their ancestors and ultimately, as believers, the promised land becomes a metaphor of heaven itself and finding rest in God. And so all of the Old Testament points forward to Jesus and finding our rest in him. But there is a powerful fortress, a huge wall that blocks them out. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28, when they saw that wall and they saw the people, it says their hearts melted. Could you imagine? I mean, we know what that feels like, right? When your heart's melt. I mean, like their insides are just, oh my goodness. The people are huge. And it says that they are greater than us. They are taller than us. And their cities are fortified up to heaven. That's what it says. Their cities are fortified up to heaven. They have walls that go up to heaven. Now that's a little bit of a hyperbole. But I mean, what they're saying is their walls are huge. Now, if you're picturing like a little gate outside of, you know, somebody's house, you know, like one of those aluminum gates, can I adjust your perspective on what they were looking at? Because the perspective was not inaccurate. I mean, one commentary I was reading, their walls were so tall and so wide that they could actually have chariot races on the top of the wall, Right? And we learned out next week, we're going to learn about Rahab's faith. She actually lives in the wall because her house is in the wall. Think how wide a wall's got to be if people are living inside of the wall. All right, so they've got rooms in these walls. This is not a skimpy like, ugh, ugh, gotcha. You know, this is huge. And as I said, this is one of the oldest cities in the world. The Israelites, the church, they are the underdog. Make no mistake here. What they're up against looks crazy in the natural. Not only that, they cross over the Jordan River. Now, praise God, he's got some affirmations along the way, just like the parting of the Red Sea when the priests with the ark go in, the water stops, they walk on dry land. That's a good confirmation. An angel of the Lord shows up right before they enter into this. They say, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? He says, neither, I'm for the Lord. Which, by the way, that's important to know too, is God's for himself. He's not for us or against our enemies. He's for himself. We have to align with him, right? Not call God to join us in our battles. We figure out what God's battles are and we join him in his. All these affirmations, but essentially as the 
Jordan Rivers whoosh, blocks them there. They are now right up against the wall on one side, the river against their back. They've essentially burned their bridges, burned their boats. There is no turning back. And the people of Jericho know exactly why they are there. And they're probably not a bunch of trained warriors at this point. Remember, their moms and dads just died in the wilderness, right? They grew up in the wilderness, this whole generation. Now, Joshua, there are military leaders, but they don't have battering rams. They don't have ramparts. They don't have any auxiliary you know, cannons to blow this thing up. They don't have any of that. So they've literally crossed the river, blocked themselves out, they just circumcised the whole other generation, by the way. Just the Cliff Notes version. The kids didn't get circumcised right up until this, so they have to heal for a few days and then go to battle, right? Like, ouch. But they want to make sure that they're walking in the covenant and taking the covenant sign and seal just like we're baptized. They're following through with it with their families, their kids. And so they are ready. But when you see them past this point of no return, as the underdogs, literally a people who had been slaves for centuries, with no artillery, their only hope is God. Their only hope is God. And my question for you under the second point is, could you look at your life and risks that you've taken in your life, or risks that you are willing to take, where you say, if God doesn't show up here, I am out, Right? Or is everything so calculated that it, even without God, you don't need him, right? Because you figured it all out and you're so prepared, right? Faith, faith stretches you to say, God, you have to show up here because without you, I can't do it. Put yourself in those situations. Don't avoid them. Don't run headlong into folly. But if God has called you to something, will you believe this wall is to come down, but it's going to take a miracle? Do you believe that God does miracles? Yes. Put yourself in situations where God, the living God, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is your only hope. Amen? Faith believes, but also faith takes risks. Where in your life are you taking risks for God? And if you say, I haven't seen any walls come down, maybe you haven't put yourself in any situations where you need to see him do a miracle. Put yourself in a situation where you say, God, you are my only hope. And if you are in that place, seek him. By the way, if he has placed you in that place, amen? If he has placed you in that place, they are there because of God, because God has told them to go there. Wherever God sends you, take a bold risk. Burn the boats, burn the bridges, and go after what God has for you. Amen? Wall-defying faith, not only it first follows faithful leaders, secondly, takes daring risks, thirdly, obeys God's instructions obeys God's instructions. Let me reread our key verse, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So, we'll look at Rahab next week. So I'm gonna put that whole part of the story on pause for next week. Super excited for next week's sermon on that. But they go up to the walls, and this is the instructions the Lord has told them to do. All right, you ready? 
Take the priests and the ark. It's got the Ten Commandments, all that stuff in it. Seven priests, seven horns. They are the ram's horns, shofars. Can you picture it? Right? You walk around that whole wall once. No yelling, no screaming. Just blowing the horn. And you go back to your camp. And day two, you wake up, seven priests, seven horns, arc, walk around the wall again, and blow the horn. Day three, do it again. Day four, same as day three, day two, day one. Day five, yep, same thing. Day six, one more time. But on day seven, I love, we don't coordinate a lot of this, you know, what's happening where we shouted the name of Jesus seven times. Thank you, Sarah. I, I didn't tell her to do that. I didn't tell her. Number seven is an important number in your Bible, though. It's the number of completion, creation on the seventh day. Seventh day, we, you know, seven's everywhere in the Bible. It's all over Revelation, seven, everything. Seven lampstands, seven churches. Seven, 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 seven. So they're, they're told, walk around, do exactly as you did the previous six days, but do it seven times on the seventh day. You know, seven times. One, two, three, four, five, six, Seven And at the seventh, the entire church, all the people of God are to shout, and the walls will come down. All right, let's do this, right? He's a military genius, but this one sounds, you know, geniuses can be a little crazy too, you know that, right? Like, Something that makes people genius, they're also a little, sometimes just, you know, look, you're like, did God really? I mean, the water of Jericho just stopped for that, the ark. So I think we're good. You said an angel of the Lord. I think, I, I think this is going to work. But really, think about this for a second. This shouldn't work. It shouldn't work, right? Like, walls don't come down by shouts and horns. That's not how walls come down, all right? So everything about this story, if a miracle doesn't happen, this whole story doesn't happen because it doesn't happen because people walk around it seven, seven thousand, seven million times. Those walls are still there high up to heaven, right? And yet at that shout, at the seventh time, they, the walls fall down. And they enter right into the promised land. Obeys God's instructions. God's ways are not our ways. And I think God purposely has this baked into scripture for us. So we would say, when God says jump, we always say how high, amen? When God's word gives us instructions, either when the Holy Spirit gives you guidance, now you need to test the spirits, but God still speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, and also objectively, so that's the subjective leading of God, but objectively in the Word of God, there are so many commands, so many instructions in the Bible. And in the world, people say, ah, it doesn't work like that. This is how you should do marriage, and this is how you should do sex, and this is how you should do this. And this. That's not God's instructions. This is what God has said. God said it. I believe it. That's it, right? Amen? We follow God. 
God made you. God is the creator. He gets to tell the creature what to do and how to do it. And if you don't know this book, before you look for the subjective leading, I feel like God wants me to please learn this book because <laughs> then you can test those promptings. I love that our whole church is doing an annual Bible reading plan together. There's over 100 of you reading the entire Bible together. Who here is reading the Bible together? Just raise your hand. Look around the room. Y'all need to get in on this. Just scan the QR code before church. Here's one of my goals for me as pastor. If I'm here for a couple decades by the grace of God, that would be fine by me. If we preach verse by verse through the Bible and you learn the scriptures, and then every year, everybody here reads the whole Bible for decades, and I leave or retire or die and go to glory, and there's hundreds of people who know the word of God forward and backwards, upside down, that if they ever hear something that's not right, they go, that's not in the Bible. That's not God's instructions. I will die a happy pastor, amen? Obey God. Know his word. Let him speak to you and let him lead you, especially through the scriptures. But you know, they didn't have the book of Joshua at this time. They just had to trust that God was speaking through their leaders and speaking to them through that. And God was. And I also want to stretch you here and say, do you seek the Holy Spirit's leading in your life? Because a lot of the walls that you need to see come down in your life, there isn't a Bible verse for. Is God will have to lead you to that wall and then give you faith to see that wall come down. That Berlin Wall, I mean, in principle, we know it was evil, represented an evil empire, right? And there are still evil empires and walls that need to come down. But at the same time, the the faith that you need as a business leader, as a principal, as a dad, and as a mom, as a fill-in-the-blank of where you're called to lead in the world by faith, some of those things you need the Holy Spirit to just lead you to the wall and say, that wall's not supposed to be there. And to take bold, daring risks, to go to the mission field, to go overseas, to plant churches, to give generously till it hurts, to whatever it is, to stick into your marriage and persevere even though it's hard, to keep chasing after your kids even though they're running from God. What does it look like to see God take down those walls? And in the natural, it might even look crazy. It might look like you're blowing a horn around a wall. And people say, what are you doing? God has called me to this. You know, my life has not turned out at all like I thought it would. <laughs> Some of you know my story. I got sa- saved at the end of high school, went to Drexel University. I was going for electrical engineering and then switched to information technology. I'm a computer techie solutions kind of guy. And, but I launched a campus ministry as a freshman that grew pretty big and led a lot of friends to Christ. And I was doing crazy things. I was the guy going up to the frat houses, preaching the gospel during the parties. I was the guy on spring break going to the beaches like Panama City Beach and where everybody was out getting drunk on the Mardi Gras, wearing the beads. I was out doing walk-up evangelism and trying to lead people to Christ. Like, I was, I was out there doing bold things for Jesus. And I sensed the Holy Spirit speak to me my senior year in high school said, Stefan, I never want you to look back at these days as your glory days. (laughs) Like When I used to have faith, when I used to take risks for Jesus, he said, you have to keep going forward. And I needed that word because 
Shortly before I graduated, the church I was attending asked me to come on staff full time. I said, what are you paying? And they said, peanuts. <laughs> and I got my degree from Drexel. And I said, well, I'm living like a broke college student already. What's a couple more years living broke? So I moved in with a group of guys, a bachelor pad, and I went into full-time ministry. Zero seminary education at that point. Now I'll give you the cliff notes, but I, I served at that church till 2011 after the housing bubble popped, went to Fort Lauderdale because there was a church that wanted to call me, still had no formal education in ministry, but a certificate from uh, a non-denom denomination. You know how those Bible programs work where only that group recognizes it. So I go down to this church and I didn't even know where Fort Lauderdale was on the map when I started talking to the church. I had to Google it. I saw the palm trees. I said, this will be all right. <laughs> I get there and I had to start all over and have friends or family down there. And then all of a sudden I get recruited to start preaching the gospel in the public schools. That's bold. That's risky. I'm in. By the end, I'm overseeing 90 of those clubs in the public schools, middle schools, high schools, writing curriculum for 230 schools. It's called First Priority. You can Google it if you want. We are doing evangelism in the public schools. By the way, we're going to do that up here soon. Amen. We're going to get there. That's going to happen. Amen. And then towards the end of that, my twin brother had his kids going to nursery school at Manoa. And I said, what is that? He says, it's a Presbyterian church. They need a new pastor. I said, I've never been Presbyterian before. <laughs> but I think theologically, I'm pretty close. I think I can, I can get it there, yeah? And he said, I said, well, who's left? He said, there's not many people left. A few dozen. Are there any kids? No. <laughs> I got four kids. I talked to the elders, talked to the congregation that was calling, and I'll tell you what, it was a step of faith again to come home, to come to here. And even my parents at my installation here was like, what is he doing? <laughs> I am so glad I'm at Manoa Community Church, amen? Are you glad we're here? And we're just getting started. But here's what I want to tell you. What does it look like for you to follow the Holy Spirit, to do things where people, maybe even your parents, think you're nuts? Like, what are you doing? I'm following God by faith. And whatever walls there are, if the churches in Northeast and Philadelphia are dying, we will go up there and we will see those walls come down by the grace of God. Amen? If we think the gospel is shut out of the public schools, we will see those walls come down, amen? If we say that kids are running away from the church in droves, we will see those walls come down by the grace of God, amen? Where are the walls in your life? Take bold risks, believe God, follow the Holy Spirit where he leads you and use your leadership to influence the world by faith. You know, Jesus modeled this third point for all of us. And by the way, Joshua is the name Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus is Joshua. Joshua is Jesus. The same name. This Joshua points forward to the ultimate Joshua who came and went through the same Jordan River where he was baptized in. Did you know the same one they walked through? He entered the promises of God at his baptism, embraced the calling of God as the full son of God. The Holy Spirit filled him, my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. He went 40 years, 40 days in the wilderness 
tempted by Satan but victorious. And then he entered the world following the Father's instructions to the very point of death in the Garden of Gethsemane as he cried out to God saying, isn't there any other way? Not my will, but yours be done. And who would have ever thought, just like circling a wall seven days with trumpets, who would have ever thought that nailing the sinless Son of God on the cross would be victory for the entire world? But that's exactly how God works. He blows our minds. And on the cross, Jesus said, I will follow your instructions to the point of death. And that wall between humanity and God came down. God's ways are not your ways. Find his ways. Follow his ways with bold leadership. Go to those gates and say, these gates must open. This wall must come down. Amen.